0: talk radio prepare yourself okay let's go this is veg talk radio and that it is good morning afternoon or evening depending upon when you're listening to this podcast my name is Jay and welcome to veg talk radio this week's episode episode number five is we're gonna be talking about factory farms and their ill effects upon our own health and our environment and if you're not aware of what a factory farm is, it's basically a large farm that uh, is an industrial operation that raises large numbers of animals for food. Over 95% of farm animals in the U.S. are raised in factory farms. Yes, they focus on profit and efficiency at the expense of animal welfare. And, uh, you know, factory farms are often located in rural, disenfranchised communities, resulting in some disproportional impacts of those communities. In polling, of Americans agree that animals raised for food deserve to live free from abuse and cruelty. Yet the majority of these nearly 10 billion farm animals raised each year in the U.S. suffer in conditions that consumers would not accept if they could actually see them. And the reason why you can't see them is because of the ag-gag laws. And most of our meat, milk, and eggs come from industrial farms where efficiency trumps welfare. And animals are certainly paying the price. Now, some of the major sources of suffering on factory farms include cages and overcrowding, uh, physical altercations, uh, alterations rather, like uh, teeth clipping. Have you ever heard of teeth clipping? That's because the animals can't bite one another. Uh, Also, uh, clipping or tail docking performed without anesthetic. It's pretty brutal. Indoor confinement with poor air quality and unnatural light patterns. The inability to engage in natural behaviors such as, you know, grazing out in an open field, that kind of thing. Uh, breeding for fast growth or high yields of meat, uh, milk, and eggs that uh, compromise the animal's welfare. Neglect of sick and suffering animals, often due to high ratio of uh, animals to workers. Uh, misuse of antibiotics to compensate for unsanitary conditions. And speaking of antibiotics, antibiotics obviously are critical for, are critical tools for human medicine. Uh, medical authorities are warning that these life-saving drugs are losing their effectiveness And there are few replacement drugs in the pipeline to kind of help counter that. Both in the United States and worldwide, agriculture uses vastly more antibiotics than human medicine. And agriculture uses drugs from every major class of antibiotics, including in human medicine. Now, the FDA reported in 2011 that 80% of antibiotics in the U.S. are sold for just for antibiotic, uh, for uh, animal agriculture, rather. Now the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that at least two million Americans each year experience what they call uh, antibiotic resistant infections leading to at least 23,000 deaths. That's approximately 22% of those infected originate from foodborne pathogens. So it is obviously a a nasty epidemic. Now some of the uh, conditions for let's say uh, birds in the United States, the US raises and slaughters almost 10 times more birds than any other type of animal. Eight and a half billion chickens are killed for their meat every year, while another 300 million chickens are used in egg productions. Um, All birds, including uh, egg-laying hens, uh, meat chickens—I didn't know there was a difference, but I do now— turkeys, ducks, geese, and others are excluded from the federal animal protection laws. Now, by the numbers, these are the animals that are most urgently in need of our protections— Many people do not even realize that the breed of chicken used for modern egg production is different than the breed they use for meat production, including me. If you put them next to one another, they look very different, or actually they look nothing alike. Each has been strategically bred for hyperproduction, either egg-laying hens uh, for high volume or meat chickens for their maximum breast meat. Now, both types obviously suffer from severe physical problems brought on by genetic manipulation. Pigs, poor little piggies. The US raises some 100 million pigs for food each year, the vast majority of them on industrial scale sized farms, known for their crowded, inhumane conditions. At just two to three weeks old, piglets are removed from their mothers and placed in large windowless sheds without fresh air, sunlight, or outdoor access. Uh, the pens are too small and often crowded for adequate movement and exercise. And they uh, you know, have hard slatted floors that prevent natural behaviors like rooting, Uh, Ammonia fumes are often very common, and they rise to uh, dangerous and uncomfortable levels due to pig waste. Cattle, for example, uh, raised and processed across several distinct industries, all of which in the U.S. rely heavily on inhumane factory farming. Dairy cows, uh, most cows uh, used for dairy production are kept indoors with some having access to outdoor concrete or dirt paddocks. Many are tethered by the chains and other materials around their necks in what they call Tie stalls. Unnaturally high milk production leads to uh, mastitis, a painful bacterial infection causing a cow's udder to swell. Uh, Just as with humans, cows only produce milk as a side effect of uh, giving birth. So to keep the milk flowing, uh, dairy farms artificially inseminate cows once a year. There is a great video that you should check out if you uh, uh, wanna know more about the dairy industry itself. Uh, It's called Dairy is Scary and uh, just do a do a quick search on youtube and five minutes later you're going to be pretty surprised on, on how that industry actually works as we've been saying in the past always read your food labels but are the food labels actually accurate packages of meat eggs and dairy often bear terms that appear to indicate meaningful animal welfare standards but only a fraction of them do this confusion prevents conscientious consumers from voting with their wallets For the better treatment of farm animals some of the terms that you find and are actually misunderstood natural this does not impact animal welfare in any way free range there's no legal definition for use on eggs pork or beef or even in the dairy industry humanely raised or humanely handled is another term you'll see undefined in subjective terms without any kind of codified standards Hormone-free or no hormones added, so hormones are not approved by law for use on pigs or poultry, so the term is rather meaningless on those types of products. Cage-free is another big term you'll see on a lot of you know, egg products, for example. This label indicates that uh, hens were not raised in battery cages. However, it is an empty clam on poultry meat as meat birds are uh, very rarely raised in cages and are instead crowded into large open sheds. And here's another big one, USDA organic. This label has a vague and uh, poorly enforced regulations for animal testing and rearing and none of, uh, uh, none of it for transport or slaughter. So it's also very important to understand the true meanings of food labels so you can make some informed decisions. Uh, so always read the labels. Now as a collective, is there anything that we can do? Are there laws that can help protect not only us, but the animals as well? Now, most Americans expect our laws to protect farm animals, but the reality falls far short. Animals raised for food are among the least protected class of animals in our nation. Some of the federal laws include transport. The 28-hour law requires animals transported across state lines for slaughter, by means other than water or air to be unloaded every 28 hours for rest, food, and water. Now, this law is weakened by loopholes, lack of enforcement, and of course, low fines. Slaughter, the Humane Methods of Livestock Slaughter Act, which requires that livestock be quickly rendered insensible or insensible to pain before being slaughtered. In addition to excluding poultry, this law exempts certain forms of religious slaughter, such as kosher and uh, halal. Some of the state laws, because federal laws uh, fail to protect most farm animals, state laws are uh, these animals' last defense. The majority of U.S. states expressly exempt farm animals or certain standards of farming practices from their anti-cruelty provisions. One of the big ones, like I mentioned earlier, ag-gag. Over the past few years, ag-gag or anti-whistleblower bills have been appearing in state legislatures across the country. While crafted to appear reasonable, these measures are designated to uh, prevent the exposure of troubling practices at agricultural facilities. Instead of making it illegal to abuse animals, these laws make it illegal to document and report their abuse. Also right to farm laws. rather than reform destructive practices, corporate uh, agribusiness is responding by pushing a right to farm law. Uh, these greatly limit the ability to, uh, of states rather to regulate conditions on farms including cruel and confinement of animals.
1: This is VegTalk
0: Radio News for the week of April 13th, 2019. Florida-based King Charter School hopes to become the nation's first public school serving a 100% vegan menu and corresponding curriculum. But one stumbling block has been eligibility for meal reimbursements under the USDA's National School Lunch Program. Federal regulations stipulate that program participants cannot discriminate against the drinking of cow's milk before school, after school or on school grounds. This means that the school may not be able to receive federal meal reimbursements unless they make dairy milk available to students. According to King Charter founder Maria Solansky, she says we know how harmful it is for kids to be drinking milk and even the American Medical Association put out a memo in September telling the USDA to change its guidelines for 2020 due to the high levels of lactose intolerance in African Americans and Asians. A new study posits that the majority of consumers are adapting a plant-based eating habit. The study conducted by DuPont Nutrition Health and Health Focus International surveyed the eating habits of more than 1,000 US consumers. Researchers found that 52% of shoppers in America are eating plant-based food. That number increases to 65% if you go globally. Not only did the consumer survey respond that they are eating more plant-based food, but nearly 60% said that that change to their habits is permanent or that the least they hope to try to make it permanent. Flavor was identified as the biggest hurdle preventing individuals from eating more vegan food but many are embracing the change. The study conducted by global marketing research firm Minitel last February revealed that 52% of Americans prefer the taste of plant-based proteins. And finally, Kroger will soon carry Don Lee Farms vegan organic plant-based burgers in the meat section of its 2000 locations. The burger made from a blend of beans, seeds, and beet juice that sizzles on the grill and bleeds just like real beef first launched in February of 2018 at Costco and sold more than 1 million units in just 60 days. This has been VegTalk Radio News for the week of April 13th, 2019. And welcome back to Talk Radio, episode number five. We are talking about factory farming and its uh, ill effects on our environment and our human health. As promised, we have a talk with Michelle Merkel, who's the co-director of Food and Water Justice, the legal arm of Food and Water Watch. Michelle was uh, formerly uh, the Chesapeake Regional Coordinator for Waterkeeper Alliance. At Waterkeeper, Michelle helped to uh, develop and implement campaigns that protect the uh, Chesapeake and coastal bays. Prior to joining Waterkeeper, Michelle was co-founder and senior counsel for the Environmental Integrity Project. Uh, This Environmental Integrity Project, she was responsible for developing and implementing legal campaigns under the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act.
1: In 2001, I stood in a barn in Missouri facing 50 small family farmers, but this wasn't my first visit. I was an attorney with the United States Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, And for two years, EPA and the farmers had been allies in a legal fight against mega hog corporations that were polluting the community's air and water. But on the day I stood in the barn, I'd flown out from Washington, D.C., for the sole purpose of telling everyone that EPA was walking away from the fight. Our government had chosen the corporate polluters over the farmers and their families who were suffering from the pollution. And unfortunately, these decisions had become the norm. Our political leaders have reshaped our policies, our regulations and laws, to benefit just a handful of corporations who now control almost every aspect of our food system. But we can reverse this trend. As Food Inc. director Robert Kenner has said, people must be transformed, from passive eaters to informed shoppers, to those who step into the political fray. Eaters must join farmers to save America's food system And to reclaim our democracy. What I learned from my case is that all over the country, small traditional family farms were increasingly being replaced by industrial complexes that crammed millions of animals into buildings where they had little to no room to move or access to light. The legal term for these facilities is concentrated animal feeding operation or CAFO. They are often referred to as factory farms, but they're definitely more factory than farm. In a hog CAFO, the animals spend their whole lives standing on metal grates where the urine and feces drops to below the building, where it is then flushed out through a series of pipes and dumped into massive cesspools that can be three or four acres and 20 feet deep. The toxic brew is then sucked out and sprayed onto cropland, untreated, as fertilizer. But USDA studies show us that there's way more waste being produced in our country relative to the land available for application. So excess waste often runs off the land into our waterways. The farmers that I had met with filed a lawsuit in the late 90s in federal court against two of the biggest pork producing companies in the country, Premium Standard Farms and Continental Grain. Together, these companies built 21 of these huge industrial complexes in just five counties. That included over 1,000 buildings where they warehouse 2.5 million hogs a year. That produced the, waste, uh, the amount of waste of a city of 10 million people. That's as much waste as the city of New York and Philadelphia produce every year combined. They also built 163 of these huge storage pits. The millions of gallons of waste from these hogs wreaked havoc on the community. Waste that overflowed from these pits and excess waste that ran off of land caused massive fish kills. Toxic gases such as ammonia and hydrogen sulfide that come from the decomposing waste made people sick. And the flies from the rat-tailed maggots that blanket the cesspools ruined community members' way of life. The odors and the flies made it impossible for citizens to open their windows or to spend any time outside. EPA was supposed to fix this. At the farmer's request, we joined the lawsuit, and for the first time ever, we argued that not only were CAFOs violating our clean water laws, but also our laws intended to protect air quality. But in the middle of the litigation, right after the Bush administration came into office, I walked into work one day, and I was ordered to settle the case or lose it altogether. I was also ordered to stop every other investigation that I had started against a CAFO. I was stunned, and I was furious, And in that moment, I was forever changed because I learned that justness and fairness aren't a given, even when dealing with an agency whose mandate it is to protect public health and the environment. Rather, it's something that we constantly have to fight for. I followed my orders, and we settled the case for much weaker terms than I believe we could have obtained had we been allowed to litigate. I also quit my job at EPA because I couldn't do my job, and now I sue them. Why? (laughs) Why? Because 15 years later, the farmers are still suffering from the same facilities, and it's becoming increasingly difficult for citizens to obtain justice in all three branches of government. In the executive branch, which includes EPA, CAFOs remain essentially unregulated, even though they've been subject to our environmental laws for more than 40 years. Agriculture is the number one source of water pollution in the country. Yet EPA claims that they do not even know where all of the CAFOs are. In July of 2012, due to political pressure, they dropped a regulation that would have required the industry to create a comprehensive inventory of all the CAFOs and to submit just basic information about how they're managing their waste. EPA has also turned a blind eye to enforcing our air laws against the CAFO industry. And worse yet, in 2008, they flat-out exempted CAFOs from having to comply with some of our federal environmental laws that require the reporting of toxic chemical emissions, leaving communities in the dark about whether the air they breathe is as dangerous as it smells. The bottom line is that the farmers and I could not bring the same case today that we brought in 1999. So what about the legislative branch? Well, state legislatures every year try to pass laws that prevent citizens from fighting back against CAFOs or from even knowing what's happening at CAFO. For example, as of last year, seven states had enacted ag-gag legislation, although citizens beat back 15 other similar proposals. These laws often criminalize the taking of photos and videos at a factory farm without its permission and in some cases, even if you're standing in public space. They were enacted in response to undercover videos that revealed horrific animal abuse. And the industry knows that the public will not tolerate animal abuse, unsafe working conditions, or environmental problems that these videos reveal. But rather than correct their abuses, they're hard at work with their political allies, criminalizing the photos that bring these injustices to light. So what about our third branch of government? The courts. Well, courts can often be the last line of defense when lobbyists bankroll harmful legislation or politically capture our executive branch agencies. From ending segregation to promoting freedom of speech to recent court decisions defending same-sex marriage, court victories can create space for greater equity and justice. But when confronting entrenched power, even within the legal system, those on the front lines are at great risk. This is Terry Spence, he's the farmer whose barn I stood in in 2001 when I confessed that EPA was caving to political pressure. He also is a leading plaintiff in the lawsuit. For his efforts to protect his community, he received an anonymous letter in his mailbox threatening to burn his family alive. He was also confronted by a relative who threatened to shoot him. The factory farm fight is pitting neighbor against neighbor, family against family, all across this country, not just in Missouri. This is Lynn Henning. She's a farmer who fights industrial dairies in Michigan. For her efforts to protect her community, she's been chased off the road. She's found dead animals in her mailbox, on her porch, on her car. And someone blew out her granddaughter's bedroom window when her granddaughter was just 20 months old. Not only are people literally putting their lives on the line for this fight, it is difficult for them to find help. Statistically, most lawyers practice in urban areas. And if you find a lawyer in a rural community, they often have conflicts because they represent the industry. Likewise, judges and potential jury members often have connection to the industry, making it difficult to get a fair trial. And finally, as important as litigation is, it's extremely expensive. So if you can't find a lawyer, you can't afford a lawyer, or you can't get an impartial judge or jury, courts can hardly be a level playing field. So the game is rigged, and all three branches of government, big agribusiness wield tremendous control and influence. But we can draw upon the lessons from every great social justice movement, including civil rights. Even a loss, if you pick the right fight, can catalyze great change. For example, in 1857, the United States Supreme Court, in the Dred Scott versus Sanford case, held that African-Americans, whether free or enslaved, could not be US citizens and could not access the courts. Even though a loss, this decision aroused public outrage and was an indirect catalyst to the Civil War. And ultimately, we had the 14th Amendment to the US Constitution, which gave African-Americans full citizenship. But what changed over time wasn't the legal system. It was the cultural context in which judges and other elected officials confronted issues of civil rights. What was morally acceptable in 1857 was no longer acceptable 10 years later. As with the civil rights movement, I believe we're on the side of right, but right isn't good enough. Civil rights leaders didn't sit by passively awaiting change because they're right. They had to fight, and they still have to fight today. Likewise, we in the food movement need to decide that we're gonna fight the injustices that I've described and the others talked about on the stage. Whether it's hunger, junk food marketing to kids, antibiotic resistant bacteria, it doesn't matter. They all stem from an imbalance of power between corporate interests and people. Corporations have an appropriate role to play in our society. But as President Grover Cleveland recognized even in 1888, Corporations, which should be the carefully restrained creatures of the law and servants of the people, are rapidly becoming the people's masters. To change this imbalance, we need to do the long-term and difficult work of building political power to make meaningful changes in people's lives. And we need to work together. Numbers matter to elected officials. As a former colleague, Brother Dave, used to say, eating is a moral act. If you eat, you have a stake in our food system. Not everyone can exercise their market power, even though it's critically important, but not everyone can buy organic or even have access to healthy food, but everyone can engage politically. And the good news is there's lots of organizations that help you do that, whether you have five minutes or more, online or off. And there's many ways you can engage. You can push a button to send a letter to your representative, which seems like a small act, but when these organizations generate 80,000 emails in one week to a targeted official, that can make a difference. You can participate in a rally, talk to your officials directly, or vote for a candidate committed to change, because that's the only way we're gonna get better judges, better legislators, and in a better executive branch. I'll even hook you up with a hog or a chicken suit if you want. The point being that there's no excuse. There's ways for everyone to engage, and together we can make a real difference. We have made a lot of progress. We have had wins in the courts. We've had wins at state legislatures. And I think we've done a really good job of moving ourselves from passive eaters to informed shoppers. And there's still more to be done, but I think the next big step is collectively moving ourselves into the political space with our enthusiasm for good food and a demand for a healthier, more just, and sustainable food system.
0: And that was Michelle Merkel, co-director of Food and Water Justice and the legal arm of Food and Water Watch. What a great uh, conversation she had. And it is true, uh, you have to become an informed consumers and we are certainly making progress, including the Farm Bill that was recently passed in December of 2018. After passing the U.S. Senate by a vote of 87 to 13, and then the U.S. House by 369 to 47, the final Farm Bill now goes to the President for his signature. Now, this Farm Bill is a massive piece of legislation renewed every five years that establishes federal agriculture and policies and priorities. Now, after months of negotiation, Congress released its final form of it. Uh, one major victory included animals uh, for animals rather is the inclusion of the Pet and Women's Safety, or the PAWS Act, this vital legislation that protects victims of domestic violence and their pets by making crossing state lines to injure a pet a federal offense. Also, another enormous win for farm animals is uh, what the legislation uh, doesn't include, is uh, what they call the King Provision, uh, the so-called Protect Interstate Commerce Act, By stripping this measure from the final bill, Congress chose to protect the ability of states to pass animal protection laws, which are important wins for animals. Uh, Another victory for farm animals is the final measure that maintains the integrity of the National Organics Standards Board, the NOSB, and its ability to recommend animal welfare improvements for animals raised on farms under the USDA organic label. The Farm Bill uh, Conference also reports that the Purity Uh, The parody, rather, an animal cruelty, uh, this PACE Act, which seeks to end the cockfighting in U.S. territories by closing loopholes that prevent federal prohibition of this uh, crazy uh, crime. It is a crime. Additionally, Congress included the uh, federal prohibition of the consumption and trade of dog and cat meat in the U.S. While its final language has not been ratified, but many states have already banned it, including right here in the good old state of Michigan. So, yes, when you eat that hot dog... If you so choose to do so, you're not eating dog or cat meat. So that is all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for joining us here at Veg Talk Radio. Next week, veganize me. That's all coming up next week, so you stay close. And we'll see you next week. This has been a presentation of Veg Talk Radio. To learn more about veganism, a plant-based lifestyle, our podcasts, blog, and more, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. For questions, comments, or interview requests, feel free to drop us a line at podcasts at vegtalkradio.com, and be sure to bookmark our website at www.vegtalkradio.com. Nothing artificial, just pure vegan talk. We are VegTalk Radio.